Welcome to an Exigen podcast. Today, we'll be diving into the study that led to the ACR abstract, the use of cell-bound complement activation product to assess disease activity in SLE. Joining us is first author, Dr. Jennifer Rogers. With over 17 years of clinical experience, Dr. Rogers not only specializes in lupus, but is also the director of the Duke Lupus Clinic. Dr. Rogers, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So to start us off, can you provide us with a bit of background on yourself and why this particular topic interests you? Yeah, I'm a rheumatologist and, as you mentioned, direct the Duke Lupus Clinic. My clinical practice and research are focused on systemic lupus, and really the long-term goal of my research is to improve the care and thereby the lives of people living with lupus. By caring for lupus patients in clinic, it really was evident that many patients struggle with intangible symptoms, such as fatigue, widespread pain, brain fog, and often the accompanying mood disorders. And the etiologies of these symptoms is really likely multifactorial, but the underlying mechanisms remain elusive. As such, managing them is difficult. These symptoms can often complicate disease assessment and likely confound many of our lupus clinical trials. There to date is really little guidance on how a rheumatologist should best approach these symptoms. So really, um, it was an unmet need that led to my interest. Definitely. I mean, autoimmune diseases in general are very difficult. And then lupus really provides its own unique set of challenges when it comes to trying to help patients manage all of their symptoms. So that really leads to this really neat model that is kind of the basis of this abstract, which is the type 1 and type 2 lupus model. So can you help us understand the type 1 versus type 2 lupus model that has been proposed? And what are the implications of type 1 versus type 2 lupus in terms of how you would approach care and management of your lupus patients? Yeah, so lupus is a heterogeneous disease with really diverse manifestations. And so we at Duke developed the type 1 and type 2 model to encompass the full spectrum of lupus symptomatology and really to validate patients' lived experience. So type 1 manifestations include those classic lupus signs and symptoms, nephritis, discoid lupus, inflammatory arthritis, that have clear links to immune disturbance. Type 2 symptoms, as I mentioned, fatigue, widespread pain, mood disorders, cognitive disturbance, often represent patients' perception of disease activity, but have a less clear relationship with inflammation. So very important in our model, all patients have lupus. And for our research purposes, all patients meet either ACR, SLIC, ACR, or ULAR classification criteria. So by definition, all patients have had type 1 activity at some point in their disease course. Um, and the majority, I will tell you, although not all, but the majority of patients will experience some degree of type 2 symptomatology um, over time. The intensity and severity of type 1 and type 2 can vary. And interestingly, we can really see how type 1 and, and type 2 can affect each other. For example, a patient may have a flare of nephritis and arthritis or pericarditis, and they'll come to you feeling much more fatigued and having pain. We can treat those symptoms with immunosuppression, and those symptoms will get better. We um, are terming that intermittent type 2, whereas other patients, their type 1 disease has been quiescent, they're on therapy, but they may have persistent features in predominantly type 2, and, and we are calling that uh, persistent type 2. So in our practice, we really have standardized our approach and use patient-reported outcome measures to gather the patient perspective 
of course, with our exam and, and history taking skills in standard lupus labs to make an assessment. At every visit, we assess and score a type 1 and type 2 PGA independently, although again, acknowledging it can be challenging and sometimes very difficult to dissect, you know, which features are driving which, but we do this intentionally, one, to educate our patients, um, but two, to make sure that we as rheumatologists are addressing um, all aspects of the patient's disease. Great. So let's actually dive into that a bit more. Um, can you expand on the impact of type 2 lupus symptoms on quality of life in your lupus population? So we know that um, long-term survival rates, short-term outcomes have improved over the past 50 years uh, for patients with lupus, and there are many new exciting uh, developed, developed targeted therapies. Despite this, we know that lupus patients have lower health-related quality of life and increased rates of disability, often driven or accompanied by these features of chronic pain, fatigue, uh, brain fog, and often depression. Patients will describe these symptoms as their most bothersome features of disease. And unlike physicians, they really don't differentiate or separate, you know, the fatigue is lupus for the, versus the fatigue is something else. As such, that can lead to this very well-described discordance between patients and physicians' perception and concerns of their disease. And when you have this discordance, it can really hinder communication and uh, trust, which has long-term implications for adherence and potentially the risk of flare. So we're really looking at the nuance of these symptoms as, as the patients are experiencing them and making sure that you can properly, well, categorize is, I guess, one word for it. Um, it's really, really neat because, like you said, a lot of patients deal with a lot of these symptoms. And I think for the longest time, it was kind of this unknown bucket that they just kind of had to push through. But uh, looking, uh, pulling that through to the study... Can you talk us through the approach to the study that resulted to the abstract that we're discussing today? Because what you've laid out a great foundation. So what led to the to the study and the abstract? Yeah, so the goal of the study was to really evaluate biomarkers as predictors of lupus activity within our type 1 and type 2 framework. So this was a cross-sectional study of 195 adult patients, and we saw them sequentially in our Duke Lupus Clinic over a two-year period. As I mentioned, all patients completed PROs. In this study, we used the polysymptomatic distress score, and all rheumatologists at the time of the visit completed the sleet eye in the type 1 and type 2 uh, patient global assessment, which is a three-point visual analog scale of disease activity. Patients were then bookended into high or low type 1 and high or low type 2 activity based on the sleet eye, the PSD score, and then the type 1 and type 2 PGA. Patients were classified as high type 1, high type 2, mixed if they had both high type 1 and type 2, or minimal and they were really feeling well. Due to the relatively small number of patients with purely high type 1, and I will tell you most of those patients have nephritis, um, we really ended up, and they don't have a lot of pain or fatigue, we mixed type 1 with type 2 and ended up with three groups. So we then evaluated the differences in biomarkers across those three groups and performed a logistic regression analysis for predictors of type 1. Okay, we're definitely going to come back to that and take a look at the conclusions of the abstract. But before we do, I actually want to focus a little bit more on these biomarkers. Could you explain the role of CBCAPS and the advised lupus algorithm, um, especially in providing an objective biomarker to help distinguish type 1 versus type 2 lupus symptoms? 
Yeah, definitely. So um, in lupus, complement activation results in the formation of complement activation products that can bind to blood cells and can be measured as cell-bound complement activation products, termed CB caps. There are a variety of CB caps, but in this study, we really use the two most prominent um, and, and well-described, the erythrocyte-bound C4D, EC4D, and B lymphocyte-bound C4D, BC4D. And these were measured by flow cytometry. The Avise Lupus Panel, also termed Multi-Analyte Assay Panel, or MAP in, in our abstract, is a two-tiered algorithm that includes the ANA and includes those two CB caps, as well as a variety of other autoantibodies, and has been shown and validated to have improved sensitivity and specificity for diagnosing lupus, and importantly, for excluding other connective tissue diseases in fibromyalgia. Right, because type 2 lupus symptoms really do look similar to fibromyalgia. Would you then say that the biomarkers were able to help differentiate between type 2 lupus and fibromyalgia? Um, so if you have negative, you know, advice panel and negative CV caps, yes, right, you could, you could exclude fibromyalgia, you could exclude fibromyalgia. But type 2 symptoms, as I mentioned, right, are a part of lupus and a part of, and a part of symptoms. So we used uh, the CV caps and other lupus biomarker serologies to really look for type 1. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Now, let's take all of that really pertinent information and go back to the abstract. Can you walk us through the conclusions of the study and expand on what some of those findings look like? Yeah, so this uh, was a book-ended cohort of 87 patients. The majority, 90% were female, 59% were Black, self-identified as Black, and the mean age was 45 years. Patients with type 1 activity were younger than the other groups. However, there really was no difference between race, ethnicity, length of disease, historical renal disease, lupus classification criteria, the ACR-ULAR score, or interestingly, the use of hydroxychloroquine, steroids, or immunosuppression across the three groups. The self-reported features of type 2, such as pain and uh, fatigue, were also similar between type 1 and type 2, again, because we mixed that type 1 um, with mixed. The MAP positivity, DNA, RNP, Smith, and C1Q were also similar across the three groups. However, patients with type 1 had higher MAP scores and higher BC4D and or EC4D positivity, as well as row uh, row 60 positivity and low complement. However, the predictor, predictors of type 1 were BC4D, EC4D positivity, and row 60 positivity, and they outperformed the traditional lupus biomarkers of complement and double-stranded DNA. How would the use of biomarkers to distinguish between these two types of lupus uh, potentially aid in future drug development to address these type 2 symptoms? Yeah, so as I mentioned, type 2 symptoms can confound, confound our clinical assessment of disease activity and um, thereby likely potentially confounded assessment in clinical trials. In trials, as in clinical care, it is really important, of course, to systematically evaluate pain and fatigue, and I think are important outcome measures in our trials. Um, but as of yet, there's not a biomarker for evaluating type 2 symptoms, because remember, they're multifactorial. On the other hand, we can use biomarkers, including CB caps um, or the MAP, to assess for type 1 activity and make that diagnosis and ensure, importantly, in clinical trials, where we really kind of want to potentially more homogenous population, patients that have immunological activity and thereby would potentially respond to that therapy and potentially also exclude patients that have a lot of symptom burden, but perhaps those symptoms are due to a different underlying mechanism that may not be immunologic. 
Very cool. And do you see that happening in the near future or are we still a, a bit of ways away from that? Yeah, I, I, I think so. We've seen some trials that are starting to incorporate this. So it's uh, really exciting to see. Yeah, that is really exciting. And actually, um, let's expand on that a little bit more, but take it to the real world setting, if you will. Um, can you share how the distinguishing between the two types of lupus or can you share how distinguishing between the two types of lupus um, has had a meaningful impact in the way that you've approached treatment and care for one of your patients? Yeah, well, I'll tell you that um, I use the model every day when I in clinic when I care for patients with lupus, and it has really revolutionized our approach in managing these patients. So instead of spending time, um, valuable time or potentially energy disconnecting or having potentially a confrontational interaction where the patient is telling you, no, no, I'm fatigued. I'm having this pain. No one is listening to me. You're my second opinion. Um, and then you can't potentially de detect any type one activity. And you're trying to ex explain this. Instead of that, you can use the type one, type two model in an empathetic manner to listen to your patient, validate their experience, and really partner with them and be their advocate to delve into what are the other biopsychosocial factors that may be contributing to the type two symptoms. And by gaining their trust, right, you uh, build buy-in. So a patient has a lot of pain and fatigue, and they've been told it's all in their head, and then you start down and they don't want to hear it. But then if you explain it in a way, use the model to educate them and build that trust, you can have buy-in to refer to physical therapy or to refer to the psychologist, right? Because there's not one medication or treatment that will manage all of these symptoms. But equally as important, if you build trust and you build that relationship for that type two features and, and kind of understanding of lupus symptomatology, you can build buy-in for adherence to type one medications. As I mentioned, sometimes these uh, type two symptoms can occur with type one activity, but often the treatment will not take them all away. So if a patient is not feeling better and they have expectations that their fatigue is going to resolve with taking their methotrexate or Celsept, but they continue to have those symptoms, they may not understand they may stop taking their type 1 meds, leading to, leading to poor outcomes. Um, so we use this um, model really at every visit with the goal that the patient is heard, hopefully the patient is satisfied, and then you really as a rheumatologist leaving that room have had a more meaningful and hopefully impactful visit. Um, for sure. I mean, you're taking a, a very much a holistic approach to make sure that nothing gets missed. Um, I can only imagine how how comforting that is for patients that are dealing with these symptoms for long periods of time, I know for some of them. Um, and then to wrap this up, because Dr. Rogers, we talked about a lot of really great things and you kind of walked us through this, this model, which is very exciting, but what's the most well, in your opinion, what's the most meaningful takeaway of the study? Um, so I think the take home point from this study is that type one activity was differentiated immunologically by BC4D and or EC4D and then also row 60 antibodies. So when using CBCAPs combined with uh, patient reported outcome measures and of traditional lupus assessments of your exam, of course, in our type one, type two framework, it really allows for a more detailed categorization of lupus symptomatology. And hopefully this uh, can translate into improved care and outcomes. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and your insights and walking us through this. Really, I mean, this is a pretty cool abstract and the implications of what this means for helping lupus patients is huge. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to Exigence Podcast. 
For more information about Exogen, please visit the website at www.exogen.com.